How's it going, folks? How's it going? I'm Brother Matthew, and this is Christian Coffee Time, where we sit down together to study the Word of God. And today, as it's Saturday, Saturday Q&A day, we're just gathering together around the table just to uh, talk about the Word of God, what's going on, uh, elevate our Lord God, Jesus Christ, to preach the gospel and uh, discuss all of the questions, issues, circumstances, topics that are going on in a biblical lens is to see what does the Word of God have to say about all this. So, with that, if you have any comments, questions, issues, insights, anything at all, please, by all means, go ahead, ask away. Be glad to hear from you. Um, and so, this is a Saturday Q&A, so we kind of just open up the floor to whatever's on your heart, what's on your mind. Go ahead, ask away, and uh, we'll see what does the Word of God have to say about it. So, that's what we're going to be doing here. And as well, if we have time, as usual, we're going to be uh, diving into the cesspool of Reddit and taking a look at some of the questions that the world has for Christians or some questions that some professed Christians that really need to learn the faith, uh, some questions that they might have. So with that, there it is. So grab your Bibles, notepads, pens, grab your tea, grab your coffee. Time to stir some stuff up. Stir up the hornet's nest. Stir up the goats, stir up the wolves, stir up the rats, and all the rest of it. All right, so there's something I would like to talk about while we wait for uh, some comments, questions, issues, insights, whatever's on your heart, what's on your mind, go ahead, ask away. Okay, so there is a verse I'm looking for. I can't remember. I know it's on my phone. I didn't put my bookmark in the right spot. That's my bad. What's Colossians 3? That's right. That's why I couldn't find it. There it is. <clears throat> okay. <laughs> Grab your Bibles and please turn to Colossians chapter 3. There's a verse here uh, I'd like to preface today's broadcast with. In Colossians chapter 3. Now, what I'd like to show you is something really interesting came across this the other day and I was doing some research on this verse on Colossians chapter 3 now it says set your what on things above can you tell me in the comments what does your Bible say if you have your Bibles handy uh, this is shows who has their Bibles Colossians chapter 3 verse 2 uh, what does it say to uh, set your what what's the word in your Bible what's the word Now, some different versions sometimes have different words. That's also why I'm asking. But there is a, a an understanding behind this. I was thinking about this because when you take a look at this verse, Colossians chapter 3, verse 2. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Now, the word affection. Affection. Now, if you actually take a look at the Greek, the Koine Greek of this word, of this verse, Colossians 3, 2, set your affection, but if you look at the Greek word, the Greek word is phronio, 
Fronio. That means to have understanding, to feel, to think, to exercise the mind, that which is of your mind. So it means mind, but not just mind, not just mind. Set your mind on things above, but it has a deeper understanding to this. Now, as you see, like, for example, I'm using King James, but in verse two, set your affection, your affections, your desires, your emotions, that, that, that which is of your lust, desire, uh, the thing, the way, the way you think about things, your opinions of things. So, so we see what's getting behind this, that which drives us in our desire. That which drives us in our desire. Set your affection on things above. So in everything that you do, even in eating and drinking, do all to the glory of God. But it's much more than that. It's the that which drives the everything that you do. The reason why you do what you do. That's what this is getting at. So it's not about me, it's not about others, it's not about anything else, but the reason why I do things is for the Lord. That's the reason why I do things. So in everything that I do, even our own personal quiet times, our entertainment, our hobbies, our interests, everything that we do, to set your, your mind, your affections, your affections, your emotions, your desires, that which drives you to set it all upon the Lord, that he is the reason why you do what you do. That's what that's about. So in today's broadcast, as you see, the title, Fight the Good Fight, Keep the Faith. Now we're going to be talking about this, fighting the good fight and keeping the faith. And how do we do this? How do we, how do we go about this? There's some interesting uh, thoughts in, in here I would like to go over and there is another verse if I can find it probably not I've lost it and I just another verse came to my mind from the other night but I can't remember where it was okay so anyways this is what we're doing today. Just taking our time. As uh, we've got some questions, got some topics we're going to be going over. I'm still getting set up for this morning, so <laughs> bear with me. I'm tired. It was a big day yesterday. But there you go. Okay, so good morning, good morning. How's it going? Thank you so much for joining in. Uh, I blog says, love your hat and shirt. <laughs> this is my evangelism hat. So that when I want to really stir up the devils and stir up the pagans is throw this on. And I'm, and I'm telling you, it's like Moses in the Red Sea, <laughs> especially when I'm wearing my evangelism shirts and whatnot. I'm telling you that the pagans just part <laughs> me and my dad. Uh, a couple of years ago, I wore my uh, my bright white shirt. That says Jesus Christ is God on the front and repent and believe the gospel on the back. And I made him one, uh, but it was a kind of a gold yellow uh, t-shirt. says the same thing. And him and I walked. It felt like we were the two witnesses. 
of revelation or something we went to a fair that was going on and uh, we walk in and there's just people shoulder to shoulder and we're walking in with these shirts and we're walking shoulder to shoulder people were literally parting it was the groups of people were parting they're looking at us like eh, and trying to get away from us we're just walking through it was just great <laughs> i'm telling you people know they know if our shirts said anything else no one would even bat an eye it could have been if our shirts could have said something of any other religion no one would care but the fact that we have had on them what we have on them that's what stirs stuff up that's what gets the devils going so <laughs> let let the world know that there's still christians around and we're not afraid to hide i'm not gonna hide i don't hide i broadcast who i am proudly I'm full of pride of my Lord Jesus Christ, and I'm not going to hide it. I'm not ashamed. Seriously. And like I've said it, if uh, if I wind up getting arrested, which is a high probability uh, for preaching the Bible, you better turn on the news because it's going to be on the news. Local man under arrest for preaching religious hate speech, for preaching the Bible, and starts bringing down hellfire in the courtroom. <laughs> I'm telling you, I'm going to be preaching the gospel in that courtroom. I'm not worried about it. I've talked to my family about it. I've talked to my parents, talked to my wife about it, and my in-laws, everybody. Uh, you know, if, if it happens, it happens. I don't want people getting mad. I don't want any protests. I don't want people getting all... It, it is what it is, and I'm going to just serve the lord as i can i'm not going to fight i'm not going to fight you see this is where it comes down <clears throat> to fight the good fight how do we fight the good fight well it's not fists and and the bible says to render not evil for evil speak evil of no man to but to turn the other cheek why not suffer yourselves to be defrauded so we see in this that if it happens, it happens. You look at the prophets. What what did the prophets do when they got arrested and imprisoned, all the rest of it? They served the Lord anyways. They preached the gospel where they could. They preached the word of God where they could. Same with the apostles. The apostles never took took up swords and shields and fought back. Peter swung his sword and Jesus told him to put away his sword. So you see, fighting the good fight is much more than fists and placards and protests. Fighting the good fight is fighting the fight of faith. To fight ourselves of our own desires to lash out. We're not here in a physical crusade. It's not a physical crusade. We're here for spiritual reasons. We're here to honor the Lord. We're here to lift up his name. And how can I lift up the name of Jesus while I'm literally physically warring with people? When I'm screaming and fighting, cursing, spitting, all the rest of it. I, that's not honoring Christ. What did Jesus do when he got arrested? What, did, what about Peter, James, and, and all the rest of them? Philip, what about, what about them when they got arrested? What did they do? They were faithful to the Lord. They fought the fight of faith. They kept the faith. In all things, they kept the faith. doesn't matter where you end up. It matters on how you keep the faith throughout it. Fear not him which can kill the body. They will hate you because of me. In this world you shall suffer tribulation. 
okay it's coming and it's going to happen so we need to learn how to ready ourselves for this and to not be ashamed to not be ashamed like people like well you got to have vpns on your phone and you got to have all kinds of jammer devices on your phone because you know the government could be listening in if you're listening in i hope you brought a bible with you i'm not worried about it let them listen in got nothing to hide i'm a christian I'm a born-again, Christian, on-fire zealot for Jesus Christ. I preach the gospel. I, I don't care about politics. I don't care about the social issues. I don't care about any of that. Let them do whatever they want. Let the heathen rage. Let them rave on so the men shall know them mad. Like my favorite clip in the movie Moses. The Ten Commandments of Charlton Heston. That's, that's a really awesome one. Anyways, but the point is, so what? People are always freaking out. Well, the government could do this. And? Well, the government's trying to stir people up to believe in purple unicorns on Mars or something. So what? I have a job to do. I couldn't care less what the government identifies as. I couldn't care less. I couldn't care less what else is going on. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Well, they could arrest you. And? Oh, no. They arrested Peter, and that didn't work out well. The, the angel came and knocked the chains right off him and opened the doors for him, and he walked right out. Do you not believe the Lord could do that? Even if he doesn't. Like, uh, like uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The Lord is able to deliver us from the fire. But even if he doesn't, we will not bow. That's keeping the faith. That's fighting the good fight. It's determination of the faith that it doesn't matter what this world brings. I'm not going to betray my Lord. I'm not going to betray my faith. I'm not going to betray Jesus Christ. I'm not going to betray the righteousness of God and the character of the saints and all the rest of it. All for a moment of comfort. All for the moment of satiation of, of my enemies and peers. I'm not going to betray. Fighting good fight and keeping the faith is all about Jesus Christ. Ex exemplifying him, the Christ-like example. You know, if they want to oppress me, like my shirt says, come and take it. You don't like what I'm saying? Come and stop me. But that's not going to stop me. I'm going to be preaching in the prison cell. I'm going to be preaching in the prison yard. I'm going to be declaring it in isolation. If there's no one around to hear it, I'm going to keep preaching because the angels love to hear it. You can't stop me. Cut out my tongue, I'll learn sign language. Cut off my hands, I'll tap my foot in Morse code. That's what it's about. To laugh in the face of the opposition because he who sits in the heavens laughs at them. If God is laughing at them, why are you worried? Why are you worried? Who cares what they do? But the Antichrist is coming. And we kind of know how that one's going to end up. But the, look what they're bringing in. I've read the back of the book and we win. What are you worried about? But, but, but what about this? Worry, not doubt, not fear, not fret, not care, not be anxious for nothing. Shall I go on? Be still and know that I am God. 
Stand still and see the mighty salvation of your Lord. Forsake all, follow me, die to self. How much more do you need the Lord to say? What else do you need him to do? See, this world is uh, of Christians, the Christians in this world are, are so bound up, wrapped up, and caring about so much about the world's goings-ons. But don't you see what they're doing in the schools? Were we not told that would happen? Do you not see what they're teaching the kids? And you know how to fix this? I know how to fix it. I know what fixes it. I know what the solution is. The gospel of Jesus Christ. If more Christians preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, this world would, wouldn't be as bad as it was. But because Christians are forsaking the gospel and pushing it to the back burner and taking up the banner of everything else that's going on in this world, that's why the world is marching so wickedly. Because it's the gospel of Jesus Christ that fixes everything. So preach Christ. Declare Christ. Promote Christ in everything that you do. Keep the faith of Jesus Christ. Fight the good fight of faith of Jesus Christ. That's what it's about. There is no power of this world that can override that. There is no sin greater than the blood of Jesus Christ. And there's no power greater than the name of Jesus Christ. There's no movement greater than the moving of the spirit of Jesus Christ. Or do you disagree? Because there are... You wouldn't believe it. There are many professed Christians that disagree with me, that get upset. I wanna, when I say these kinds of things, they get upset. And to those ones, I challenge, show me from the word of God how I'm wrong. Show me from the word of God how I'm wrong. I dare you. <laughs> but so we see, just as this passage of scripture says, as we were talking about, to set your mind, not just mind, not just your thoughts, not just your thoughts, not just your reasoning, but the passion, the fervency, the emotions, the desires, the reason why your affections, your love, your anger, so there's righteous anger. You have loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Your love of Christ, that that which drives you. Your fervency, your zealousness, your affection of mind. All of, of your intellect, of, the, of that which drives you to be on the Lord. To set all of this on the Lord. To set your affections of, of your mind, your being on things above. Not on things of this world. The churches fall apart when they start straying from this. And Christians will lose faith and wander away when they start forgetting this. Because we start thinking for ourselves. We start thinking physically on the matters. We start thinking physically. We start thinking well about how we can entice people to come to church. And how we wind up doing this is by compromising our convictions taking on more and more worldly entertainments and worldly styles and stuff and, and start preaching more and more and more about the social issues. And we, and we stop preaching just the word of God. Because it's scripture and scripture alone that is the truth of everything. Not philosophies and reasonings of, of our own opinions and logic. 
what scripture flat out says. And we don't compromise this just to make friends with the world. We don't compromise our convictions so so that the mouths of the lion the lion's den will shut. You see, Daniel didn't have to try to coax the lions and befriend the lions and try to work with the lions and stuff. He just kept the faith and he was thrown in and God shut their mouths. He didn't care about the lions. It didn't matter if it was lions, dragons, or whatever. It didn't matter. The point is, is that whatever happens in this world happens. We keep the faith. We do not betray the faith. We promote the faith everywhere we are unashamedly if the world doesn't like it tough i'm not going to apologize whether it seems right unto you to obey you or not we ought to obey god rather than men we cannot but speak of the things which we have seen and heard that's how it is well but that goes against the laws of the land The laws of the land do not overwrite the laws of God. Society's dictation of what they believe is right and wrong does not rewrite the word of God. All because the pagans and heathens don't like it doesn't mean we start compromising our convictions and watering down the word of God. Do you not agree? If people don't like it, tough. So it is. That's how I feel about it. I don't know about you. How do you feel about it? Someone say something. Tell me I'm not just standing alone in this. So, yeah. Anyways, uh, blog says, set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. That's the verse I was asking about. Uh, And Kelsey says, the original Greek word, much more to it than mind. Interesting. Never thought to look that up. Yeah, that's why I always promote about this about the looking into the hebrew and the greek on uh, on the verses and the words and all this stuff it, it really deepens and enriches enriches the word of god that much more we see the kind of the thought process the thinking behind the, the god's chosen words that he gave us and it just really brings the scriptures to life that much more and we see so much deeper like for example like when i talk about john chapter 8 verse 24 when jesus says if you do not believe that i am and we look at that up in the in the koine greek uh, the i am it means ego emi which means the always existing one so we see if we just read the verse you do not believe that i am you should die in your sins we can get an idea of what he's saying there but now that we see this if you do not believe that i'm the always existing one meaning almighty god you'll die in your sins we it makes it alive that much more and, you know, by grace are you saved through faith. We can read that. Now, what does grace actually mean in this? We see that the thinking process of everything behind. You look at Ephesians 1, 7, about in whom, in whom we have redemption. What does redeemed mean? The, the picture image behind this. You can see a bit of the mind of God and his thought process of, of why he gave it to us the way he did. And I love it. I love diving into it in that way. And there's so much more. There are some professed Christians that actually condemn looking into the Greek and Hebrew. Oh, you shouldn't go to the Greek and Hebrew. You should not go to the Greek and Hebrew. Those people are ignorant. 
they don't understand. God didn't give us the Bible in English. He gave it to us in Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. And so the original languages, as it was given in Hebrew and Greek, English doesn't correct the Hebrew and the Greek. English is a translation from the Greek and the Hebrew. As a, from the original Greek and Hebrew is translated uh, to English, to French, to German, Russian, and all the rest of it. So uh, you want to know what the original manuscripts are, which we still have. And some people say they're gone. Well, those people are dumb. We still have the Greek and the Hebrew. And you go back and look it up, and it's just it's it's incredible that that sometimes the English language is a bit weak in this, and that we don't have certain words for certain things of that. So they had to pick the the uh, the best word that that agreed us, that the called an exact equivalent. So we take a look at some of these things of what it says in the Greek and the Hebrew, and it's just really it's amazing. So yeah, do the study. Uh, you can actually buy a Greek and Hebrew keyword study Bible. It uh, has all that in there. Or you can even get um, <clears throat> for your desktop and for your mobile, you can get what's called an, an uh, eSword. E it's a free downloadable, um, and it brings with it the, the uh, uh, it has all the numbers that you can click on then to tell you the meaning of the of the words and that stuff of uh, the Strong's uh, and uh, the, the the lexicons and the Strong's numbers and all the stuff for the Hebrew it, and the Greek. It's a great help. So check it out. Anyways, so there we are. Any other comments, questions, issues, insights, anything on your heart, on your mind, go ahead, ask away. <clears throat> okay. And yeah, as Jules says here, uh, like the word repent. Now, for example, some of the Catholic and the Orthodox type type folk, they see the word like the workspace salvation is they see the word repent as a, as an act, as a work. You work at repentance and all this kind of thing. No, no, no. You actually see what repent means in in the original languages. It it's majorly different than this. It's a mindset. It's an understanding of a choice. Like for example. This is the example that I use. I'm driving this way down the road. I realize I'm going the wrong way. I should be going in the other direction. So what do I do is I stop, turn around, and I go the other direction. It's about going another direction. A change of heart, of mind on this. I reject my old self and I accept that which is offered by Jesus Christ. So in this, we see that repentance is not a work. It's a belief. It's a mindset. As the Bible talks, repentance unto salvation. Now, what is this? This is not just in any direction I turn to, but it actually gives us a direction. Repent in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. This is what scripture says. It gives us a direction of this. So I turn away from the world and my sins. All this stuff. I realize that that's wrong. It's all sin. It's condemning me. And I believe on that which the Lord has given me, the gospel of Jesus Christ and the understanding of the truth of the gospel. And I accept this. I believe this. It's not works. It's faith. It's faith, faith in Christ that, that causes me to turn away from this because I realize what is true and I accept that which is true. And it changes me. It alters me. That's what repentance is in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
So it's not works. Repentance is not works. Faith is not works. And we uh, do a study on this and what it is in the Bible. Not, not only does it say in, in the scriptures that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, but we dive into this in the meanings of the words and that faith is believing trust. Faith is not works. We're Catholics. They'll say, oh yeah, by faith alone, by faith alone. But to them, faith is works. What does faith mean according to the word of God? Believing trust. It's not works. And the same as grace. The unmerited favor of God. Mercy. You see, the unmerited favor of God. So by the unmerited favor of God, by believing trust, are you saved? And not of yourselves. Meaning nothing of our being, of our power, of anything that we could do or bring. And not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. What's gift of God? That's that free gift of salvation is offered by jesus christ believe in, and you are saved but as a gift of god not of yourselves and it repeats it again not of yourselves literally nothing of you whatsoever not of yourselves so we see study is so important many 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 christians read the Bible or parts of the Bible, they're familiar with these things. They're familiar with the stories, familiar with the doctrines, but they don't study it and they don't know how to explain it. Many of them actually study their catechisms more than the Bible. Me and my wife are actually talking about this and it's a big problem with many Christians uh, that that uh, even in Sunday schools, in Sunday schools, um, they get the kids to memorize the catechisms. Or, uh, and not so much as scripture alone or Bible verses, but the catechisms, the pre-written uh, opinions and ideologies of man. That's wrong. So people memorize the catechisms and they memorize the commentaries and the creeds and, the, and everything else, but they don't memorize scripture. And they don't study scripture alone. And this is where we get a lot of our problems. So how can you fight the, fight the good fight and keep the faith if you're not studying the word of God, the word of God alone? People scream, sola scriptura, but they don't practice it. They believe it. They say it. They quote it. They memorize it. Sola scriptura, but they don't practice it. Some things to think about. If we want to fight the good fight and keep the faith, you got to learn how to keep the faith alone, which is the word of God alone. So some things to think about. There you go. All right, so uh, blog has a question. All right. What kind of prayer can I say that would be helpful for my sons to get into the right heart and mind, possibly accept Christ? Well, the first thing we need to understand is that it's not about me saying the right thing. You see, prayer, according to the faith of the Word of God, according to Jesus Christ, as we see in, in the Scriptures, prayer is from the heart. Prayer is from the heart. And that we pour out our heart before the Lord. Praying is holding conversation. So when it comes to prayer, we are holding conversation, holding discourse, talking to, speaking with 
the Lord. So when it comes to something like this, literally what you just wrote in your comment. Seriously, what you just wrote. Pour that out before the Lord. It's not about, well, what can I say? Well, you just said it. You just said it. Bring that up before the Lord and just say it like that. Just tell him like you just told me, tell him and, and explain it to him. Pour it all out. Pour every, every aspect of your desire, your, of your, your love for them, of your desire for them to be saved. Uh, pour out your, your frustration on this. Pour it all out before the Lord. Fall on your face and wet the floor with your tears and let him know this is your heart's desire this is your affection the affection of your mind is this set it on him above and not about what can i say set it on him it's all about him bring it up before him let and, and let him know this is your heart's desire and he will do it and he will move he will work he will convict it he will honor that that's how you that's how you pray praying is not well well i gotta have how what can i say how can i write it down what what's the proper way to go about it no no no, no. it's not about proper way to go about it as you see the biblical example is just pour out your heart to god just pour it out in prayer make it known that's what it's about it's not about me it's not about my words it's about my heart is your heart right with the Lord? Is your heart right in your prayers? Is your heart right in your reading? Intention, desire. What? Why am I doing what I'm doing? Where is the passion, the fervency, the zealousness of this? Where are the tears? Where is the anger? Where is the joy? Passion. Your affection, your passion on things above. Your prayer. Where's the passion of your prayer? Pour it on him above. That's what it's about. So, yeah. So... What I'd recommend is just kneel down or throw a pillow down to kneel on the pillow and just and just stay on your knees in prayer and pour out your heart in this and shake and shake the, the, the very walls of heaven with your prayer. Just let the Lord know, pour it all out and watch God work. Have faith enough now to wait on him, to wait. Okay. Okay. Mia says, repent in my language, in Armenian, is go against the world. Yeah. As we see, the world, the ways of the world, and all these things to go against this. Now, what is the, other, what is the only other option? There's only two ways, as the Bible gives us two ways, two roads. You have the highway and the narrow way. So you see, if you're not going in one direction, you must be going in the other. So to go against the world is now to go with God, to go with Jesus Christ, to, to go in the way that he has set forward. So yeah, exactly. It brings so, such a deeper understanding of this when we start doing the study. Okay. This is great. Any other comments, questions, issues, insights, anything Jewel says, grace is great riches at Christ's expense. Exactly. At Christ's expense, not ours. It's not at our expense. We, we, it's not like Jesus, this is, this is, okay. I'm getting worked up. This is the logic 
of the works-based salvationists. You see, they believe that, that we will be given salvation by the grace of God if we kind of help him with the cost. So it's like as if Jesus is wanting to purchase our salvation. You know, you go to the checkout. Does this ever happen to anybody? Where you go to the checkout at the store and you're going to buy the thing, but you're like a couple dollars short, right? Yeah, a couple dollars short. And you're like, oh, but someone else behind you says, oh, I'll help you with that. And they actually put some money in and they help purchase that thing. That's the idea of the, of the workspace salvationist. That Jesus wants to purchase you your salvation, but he came up short. So you got to pay the difference. That's the logic of the workspace salvationist. That's not grace. Grace is it's all of him. He doesn't need your help. He doesn't need anything of you. Other than he needs you to repent and believe the gospel. Or one... <laughs> My, my wife actually made up one uh, post that was really good. It says the logic of the workspace salvationist is God has a free gift. Have you ever seen these ads on Instagram, Facebook, or wherever else? These ads that, that say, say free gift, free gift. And you know, click here for free gift. So you click there for the free gift and you take a look at it. It says, says oh, it's 100% free. You just need to pay the shipping. <laughs> that's workspace salvation the free gift of salvation you just need to pay the shipping um then it's not a free gift if grace requires something of you to be placed with it to achieve the outcome that's not grace Grace ceases to exist the moment that that any any of our being comes into it. It's like uh, uh, something I brought up at uh, at church last Sunday. Uh, there, there's uh, we were talking about uh, the one song that we were singing, and I brought up a comment, uh, something I saw a while back, that uh, in in the Old Testament in Egypt. When God told told everyone that the uh, that the uh, angel of death was going to come and uh, the firstborn of all would die, but but if you take the blood of the lamb and mark the doorposts and the lintel uh, with the blood of the lamb, that when the when the spirit comes and he sees the blood, he'll pass over. You'll note something. That when the the spirit came, when the spirit of God was coming, the spirit of judgment was coming he didn't look in the house to see who was worthy he looked to see if there was the blood he did not look to see in who was worthy in the house he only looked to see if they had the blood that very act that very point made in the scriptures regarding the passover the original passover in egypt is a is the very proof of salvation by grace alone by faith alone by belief alone in the lord god alone it's not of works 
They didn't have to do anything to merit. They didn't have to do anything to work. They didn't have to do anything to earn. They, had to do, they didn't have to do anything to attain, earn to gain, or maintain to keep. They didn't have to do anything. But belief, as long as there is the blood, as long as there's the blood, you're safe. That's what scriptures say. And anyone else, uh, all others will bring up, oh, well, but, but, but if you do this, but you can't do that, but this, but that, you got, what about this, what about that? They don't understand grace. They don't understand grace. Grace is absence of self. The only thing that the Lord requires is the, the imputed blood of Jesus Christ. It wasn't the Israelites' blood that marked the doorpost and the lintel. It wasn't their blood. It wasn't Isaac's blood. It was the blood of the ram caught in the thicket by its horns. It was the blood of the sacrificial lamb of the Passover. It's the blood of the lamb of sacrifice in the temple and tabernacle. It's the blood of the lamb of God on Mount Calvary. It's not our blood. It's not our works. It's not our atonement. It's not about us. What I bring to the table, I bring nothing to the table for my salvation other than the sin that made it necessary. It's nothing of me. It's all of him. When we study the scriptures and stop studying the catechisms and the creeds, when we just study the scriptures, we see the meaning of grace. And this is what grace is. Grace is, it's the blood of the lamb, not my blood. It's the works of Christ, not my works. It's nothing of me. It's all of him. That's what it's about. Because which of us is worthy? Raise your hand. Anyone, anyone who says that they have to in any way, shape, or form help out in their salvation by works, righteous works, or self-atonement, or whatever else, that person is preaching lies. That person is a liar or they've been deceived by lies. They don't understand grace. And they're going to be one of the ones screaming, Lord, Lord. But, 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 Lord, Lord, have I not done? Have I not done? Have I not done? So what these ones are doing were people who thought, the well, well, because I'm so good and I'm so holy because I didn't do, I didn't do, I kept myself, I, po I appointed this, I did this, I went to church and I do all the sacraments and all the things and I have uncharity because I'm so good, the angel of death will just go right past my door. I don't need the, the blood, it's about me. So what you're doing is you're standing in the doorway thinking that your personal holiness is good enough. You don't, you don't even need the, need the blood. By grace alone, by faith alone, you don't need that. You think you are good enough. You think your works are, uh, uh, hammer, nailed to the doorposts is good enough. You know what's going to happen? You're going to hear the Lord say, I don't know you. And you're going to be struck down in the second death. Name not found written. And you're going to scream, Lord, Lord. Because you rejected the very gospel that the Lord has given. 
It's by grace alone, the unmerited favor of God. But, but, but the Bible says uh, that faith that works is dead. See, this is what happens when you don't study your Bible and you just regurgitate what some uh, false prophet is saying in a pulpit. Yeah, the Bible says faith that works is dead. Yeah, it says that. But you know what it also says? By grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, as any man should boast. So let me ask you a question. Is Paul a liar? Or is James a liar? Or are there two ways? Two ways of salvation. Paul's talking to the Gentiles, and James talking to, to the Jews. Or is there two ways of salvation? Are you implying that Paul's a liar or James is a liar or that there are two ways of salvation? Which is it? Or is it that because when we study the Bible, we see very clearly that, that, that Paul's talking about salvation. It's not of works, not by righteous works, not by works of the law. He says in three separate points in Ephesians and Titus and Galatians, very, very, very clearly. It's not of works, not of righteous works, not by works of, of the law. So Paul's talking about salvation very clearly. And we know that there's only one way of salvation, not two. It's one way of salvation for Gentiles and Jews. One way of salvation, one way, one truth, one life for the whole world. There isn't a way of salvation for Gentiles, a way of salvation for Jews. That's a lie that many professed Christians actually believe. It's a lie. There aren't multiple ways of salvation. There's only one. James is talking to Christians. If you back up and actually study your Bible for once, you'll see that James is talking to Christians. He's talking about charity and Christian behavior for the purpose of promotion of the faith, not maintenance of salvation in any way, shape, or form. Because, you see, salvation is by grace through faith by belief alone. Alone. God doesn't need your works. Your salvation is not hinged on your doing and not doing and keeping and maintaining or any of that. God doesn't look in the house to see who's worthy. He only looks to see if there's the blood. This is why you need to study your Bible. We say, well, I have been studying my Bible. I've been reading it for 50 years. You better start over because you obviously missed something. Okay, let's go down through. iBlog says, thank you for straightening me out about the, the way to think and approach the Lord in prayer. I'm happy to help. We see, as you see, it's just, it's what's, what does the Bible say? What does the scriptures say? When we study these things, we see what is prayer, what is conversation with God, what is holding sweet communion with the Lord. As the scriptures say that, that he has given us all boldness to enter the throne of grace. All boldness. That means we just walk right up before the throne and look God square in the face and call him Lord. My Father, Abba, Father, help me. And he, and he bends his ear to us and he holds out his hand of grace and he calls us his child. He will never disown. He will never cast us away. He will never ignore us. God will never hold out his hand and say, hold up, I'm too busy. He'll never do that. He always picks us up and sets us on his knee and he says, tell me, what's going on? That's our Lord. And we speak with him. He, we talk to him. He talks to us. It's that simple. Prayer is a sweet communion conversation with the Lord. Pour out your heart to him.
Let them know what's going on. Amen. All right. Um, Mia says, I saw a pastor saying that there is no rapture. Uh-huh. And many will lose faith because they don't get caught up as they were told. What do you think about it? Okay, that's two two separate things. We'll look at the first one. Saying there's no rapture. Uh, okay. Those individuals that say that there's no rapture. Um because they say, well, the word rapture is not in the Bible, so therefore it doesn't exist. Well, neither are televisions and cars, snowmobiles. Is are, are cactuses mentioned in the Bible? I don't think cactuses are. Yeah. Oh, what about wombats? Are wombats mentioned in the Bible? No. What about airplanes? Nope, those aren't mentioned in the Bible. Well, they're not mentioned in the Bible, so they don't exist. All right. I joke, but it's the same logic. But if we take a look at what the Bible does say, well, let's actually look at one passage that blows that right out of the water. Let's go to... In 2 Thessalonians, chapter 2, 2 Thessalonians, chapter 2, and starting at verse 1. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together unto him, and our gathering together unto him. What's 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 the gathering, the great gathering together unto him? Well, we compare that with the other part in the scriptures where Jesus is literally talking about there a time will come all those in the graves will hear his voice and will be caught up together to meet him in the clouds. Another passage, the dead in Christ shall rise first and then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together. Um, we see the gathering together being caught up. The gathering. What is this? What is this? Well, there's a word for it. A term that was coined. A term that was that was made to describe this specific event that the Bible talks about. It's called rapture. That's what the word is. So these individuals saying that well rapture doesn't exist those people are straining at a gnat and swallowing a camel these individuals uh, just are just arguing semantics and completely ignoring the meaning of the definition of it this event is in the bible it says it a whole bunch of times so these people are dumb, and they don't know what they're talking about. They need to go back and study their Bibles. They need to study their Bibles, and they need to stop listening to these TikTok individuals, uh, TikTok theologians, and all these types. They need to actually get their nose in the book and actually study the thing and study the words and the meaning of the words. That's what they need to do. So yeah, 
Um, so I saw a pastor saying that there's no rapture. That pastor is ignorant. He should get his uh, money back for his diploma because it came from a bubblegum machine. And he says many will lose faith because they don't get caught up as they were told. Okay, that's referring to the ideology of the pre-trib rapture. Pre-trib rapture, now that's a whole different thing. Now, whether or not you believe in pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, okay, whatever. Post-trib's just dumb. Okay, we take a look at what the Bible actually says on this. You look at the sequence of events according to the Word of God. You look at Amos and Daniel and Hosea, and you compare this with uh, uh, the mentions in the Gospels and Thessalonians and the book of Revelation. You want to pair all of these together, take a look at the timeline of, uh, timeline of events and what happens, what occurs in all these things. Um, when are we taken up? Before the wrath of God is poured out. It's called pre-wrath. Not pre-trib, not mid-trib, not post-trib. It's called pre-wrath. It's mentioned multiple times in here, but, uh, and many examples are given how the, how the, those of God, God's servants, God's children are removed before the actual judgment of the wrath of God is poured out. When is the wrath of God poured out? after after the antichrist reveals himself to the world after the building the construction of the third temple after the peace treaty in the middle east is made before the 144,000 are sealed before the mark of the beast is brought in that's what the Bible shows. This is the this is what the Bible teaches. But those who do believe it that they'll be taken out before all these things come to pass, because that's what pre-trib actually teaches, that the Lord will take you up before the Antichrist even comes on scene. It will be taken out of here before all of these events and things take place. Uh no. Sorry. No. If we are alive are here at the time when these things come to pass, we will see these events unfolding and um, uh, the the one world peace being brought in all this stuff the third temple being built we'll see all of this we will see all of these events and the horrible oppressions and stuff will come down and it will get worse and worse and worse and uh, against the church it says that when the lord comes again we'll even find faith in the earth it will get so so bad and many will lose faith because that's called the what the great falling away the great falling away people who believe well we're supposed to be taken up before all these things happened and it's not happening and they'll lose faith because they're not studying their bibles they're just regurgitating what some guy in a pulpit said they're just parroting their catechisms they're not studying their bibles if you actually take a look at what it says, the sequence of events, and do the study, you'll see. You'll see. But yeah, so that part is true, that many will lose faith of that. But the reason why is because they're not studying their Bibles, because they are believing in, in the nonsensical pre-trib thing, which is not true. It's called pre-wrath. We're taken up before the wrath of God. We will not be here for the wrath of God. The bulls and the vials of the wrath of God that come down after the Antichrist declares himself God. When does he do that? After the third temple is built, he goes in the temple, sits in the temple, calls himself God, 
And then we see all the signs of uh, 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 the stars will fall, the sun will be uh, turned uh, turn to blood, and all the rest of the sun, uh, 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 all the darkness, all these things will happen. The moon will be turned to blood, this, and sun will go dark, and all this. Uh, yeah. All this kind of stuff will happen, and people will be freaking out. We're supposed to be taking out before that. No. The Bible doesn't say that. It does not say that. It says we're taking out before the wrath of God is poured out. So, yeah. So, um, yes, what do I think about what that pastor is saying? Well, I think he's quite ignorant on these topics, and he needs to go back and study his Bible. Okay. Okay. And yes, as plenty of grace says, yeah, but rapture is described clearly in the Bible. Yes, it is. It's described. Just as, for example, um, the uh, age of accountability. There's one. The age of accountability. What's that? That's uh, say, well, it's not in the Bible. That term, the term, age of accountability. Specifically, the term is not mentioned in the Bible, but what it stands for is it is a term title that was uh, created, that was given to describe a certain doctrine in the Bible, just as the word rapture is a term given uh, that was created to describe a doctrine in the bible doctrine just means the teachings of and so what's the age of accountability well this is describing how a child a little child has no understanding of anything <laughs> they don't understand how they're a sinner they don't even know what sin is you can tell them about god but they don't really have that grasp yet they don't have the grasp age of accountability is when they get to a certain age where their minds are able to understand, able to grasp how uh, how they're a sinner, about the gospel, about salvation, their need of a savior, and and they are able to grasp this. They have reached the age of uh, of accountability, which is vastly different for every single person. It's not a set age. As some people say, well, it's when they hit ten years old. No. It could be different for literally everybody. I know some 20-year-olds that are, that three-year-olds are more intelligent. Three-year-olds are more intelligent than some 20-year-olds. So, you know, it's just how it is. So it's different for every single person. So age of accountability is just a created term given for a doctrine. So some of these terms are not found in the Bible. That doesn't mean that doctrine doesn't exist. There you go. Okay. <clears throat> Again, Mia says, if there's no rapture, then he's not coming like a thief in the night. Exactly. Exactly. Okay, Abby says, good morning, everybody. I want to just ask for prayer from everyone here. In June, my husband will be traveling to a very dangerous country alone, and I wanted to ask for everyone to pray for him, that he will be safe, and that everything will go well. It's a scary process, and I've been repenting to the Lord to forgive me for my fear, but it's very hard not to worry. Thank you, everyone. All right, yeah, absolutely. We'll be praying uh, for Abby's uh, husband who will be traveling. Uh, keep, uh, so if you're taking down notes, just write down that on uh, on the notepad as a as a prayer request item and keep that in your prayers. All righty. Now, how, how, there's a question there that does come up. Well, how do we deal with personal fear? Can we get to a point where we just don't fear really? Where, where fear and doubt just never enter our hearts and minds ever again? Well, no, that won't happen because, well, 
these are processes of the flesh that can't be stopped. You see, there's the mind of spirit and the mind of flesh. There's the heart of flesh and the heart of spirit. The Bible talks about the difference of that which is flesh and spirit. Uh, the fears and the doubts and the cares and, and the worries of the flesh, you can never stop. But in your heart, the heart of spirit, the mind of spirit, we see as mentioned in, in scripture, talks about the inner man. That we know what the Lord says and in our spirit, we're not doubting, not fearing, not worrying, not, not caring because we know what the Lord has said. We know that the Lord is able. But the flesh will be like, yeah, but, yeah, but. And the flesh tries to fight back. Well, that's the sinful flesh. So we just learned that when these things do come up, just ignore it. It's like that, that, that annoying person that will never leave you alone. And they're just jabbering off beside you. You learn to ignore them. You can't stop them, but you can ignore them. Ignore the flesh ignore the worries they'll come up you just brush it aside it comes up you just refute it with, yeah but the lord says it comes up and say, but the lord heard me this is what the lord says you learn to countermand you learn to fight back by using scripture you study your bible and you bring these things up and whenever the flesh starts to get out of hand you bring up what the word of god says so there you go okay uh, Mia says here, uh, do you think rapture is before Antichrist calls himself God? Nope. Like I explained, it's after. Uh, and when is the seven years of tribulation? That it, start, it starts at the time when the Antichrist comes on scene to start unite the world. And in, and in his creating of the peace treaty in the Middle East, the working of this, this is when it all starts. It all starts before he calls himself God. Uh, that seven years does not start when he calls himself God but before so yeah um it is in the seven years of the marriage of the lamb where the church is not going to be on earth uh no that uh, we see will be taken out but but the saints but, but there will be saints during as people will be getting saved during all of this period all of this time um uh so before the wrath of God is poured out, will be taken out, but simultaneously, it's like as if, as we are going up in the twinkling of an eye, God opens the hearts and the minds of 144,000 that are to be his witnesses in the earth during this period, and he seals them. He seals his servants, 144,000 were taken out, he seals it so that his witness is never off the earth. And there will always be, always, 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 always be his servants, his witnesses in the earth. And these 144,000 will go into all the world preaching the gospel during all of this period, all this time, and people will be getting saved. So the, the truth of God is never off the earth. Um, and Mia says, because we're supposed to come back with the Lord after the seven years correct that's after that's uh, when all this is done and the lord actually comes back the second arrival he comes down on the mount uh, uh mount of olives and which splits in half and he walks in and satan is bound castle and bottomless pit and then we see the thousand years we come back with him during this time yes um okay going down through 
Buddy of Greece says, helps to meditate on Psalm 23, for example. Right. We use scripture in these things. It's not chantings and rosaries and Marys and all the rest and oils. <laughs> it's scripture. Scripture. As we take what scripture says, we, we contemplate what it says. So like Psalm 23 is you just break it down word by word, point by point, and meditate on. That means to mull over. An example like uh, chewing food, that you chew and chew and chew, and you get all the flavor, all the nutrients, everything out of it. You go, just work your way slowly through. The Lord is my shepherd. Now, Lord is all uppercase. L-O-R-D is all uppercase. That means Jehovah God. So the almighty Lord God is my shepherd. Now, what, what is a shepherd? What does a shepherd do? What, uh, what, uh, what are the requirements? Of what are his responsibilities? And we see this. We are the sheep of the shepherd. How he cares for us, protects us. Thy rod and thy staff, they cover me. Now, what is this? We see uh, the staff of God that's to guide and the hook on it to, to pull us back, to draw us back to him, the conviction, the rod. Now, what's the rod? Thy rod and thy staff. The rod is a, is a long stick. It can either be metal or wood that is used to beat the heads of the wolves. Think about that. So he has this rod. And he will fight for us. The Lord will fight for us. And all the other passages that come into this, you break it down. It's powerful. Amen. Okay. Uh, Mia says, do you think all babies and children are going to be raptured? Or only children who have at least one Christian parent? Well, good question. Now, I got to be careful with this. Because the Bible does not specifically say the bible does not specifically say that the babies and the toddlers all the children will be taken up but that doesn't mean they won't because as we do see uh what the bible says about the age of accountability about the age of accountability <clears throat> And I've done a whole message on this multiple times describing this, that babies, toddlers, even the mentally handicapped, even the mentally handicapped who have no ability, no mental ability, no understanding. That by scripture, we can see that they are seen as innocent before God. They're seen as innocent before God and are spared. That if, if babies, toddlers little children are mentally handicapped if they die they go to be with the lord that's what scripture says so when the lord comes again will these ones be taken up personally i believe yes because as we see an example in this in scripture about how the lord sees them as innocent and this judgment that's coming is the judgment upon those that have done all this wickedness upon the antichrist and on the world for its sin all this stuff but as the church is innocent, and these young ones of mind are innocent, spared, taken up. So personally, I believe yes, because as the examples that we see in Scripture, that these children will be taken up. Not just children with Christian parents, no, no. but uh, all children, all babies, all toddlers will be taken. And this is going to be a part of the of the great distraught in the world as they see that all this is taken out and. Uh, and uh, all the Christians, all these these ones are removed, and people will be wondering what's going on. That's part of this. Um, so that's my thoughts on this. So if you disagree, 
show me from the word of God why you disagree and give me examples on this and be glad to hear from you. All right. Um, yeah, so there we go. And all caught up on that. Alrighty, so we'll move into the next bit here. And what we're going to do is we're going to dive into Reddit. I'm going to take a look at some, some questions and things in the subreddit, Ask a Christian. And here's one right off the, right off the bat. Hypothetical question. What if Adam did not eat the forbidden apple? Well, first off, this is just how my mind works. First off, it wasn't an apple. Some people's minds just blown. It wasn't an apple. I don't know where they get it was an apple. Doesn't say it was an apple. It, that's actually that actually was created that lore there that it was an apple was actually created by the Catholic Church. They came up with that. The Bible doesn't say it was an apple. It wasn't an apple. I guess it could have. It doesn't say it wasn't, but I don't believe it was. Now, what fruit was it? I don't know. <laughs> uh, it doesn't matter. The point is, God said, "Don't eat it." So yeah. So here's the question, though. And this is how my mind works because I I'm very specific on things. So. The question says, what if Adam did not eat of it? So, okay, so you're implying that Eve did, Adam did not. Okay, well, well even in that. Let's say Eve ate it, Adam did not. Well, what does the Bible say? Well, we see who ate it first. Let's break this down. Who ate the fruit first? Eve did. Okay. Eve ate it first. And then she gave it to Adam, who then ate it. But as you see in scripture, it flat out says the sin came into the world by Adam's transgression. Not Eve's. Eve did sin. She disobeyed the Lord. She even made up stuff that God didn't say. God, well, God, but God says that we're, that we're to not eat it, neither are we to even touch it. Well, God didn't say that. But in her mind, what she was doing is that if even if, if I, if, to help protect myself from disobeying the Lord, I'm not even going to touch it. But, but to her, that's, you see the, the mental process of that. But anyways, the point is, what, what if Adam did not eat of it? What if, what if sin never came into the world? We'd be living in a Garden of Eden state to this day. There'd be no sin. There'd be no war. There'd be no death. There'd be no diseases. There'd be no corruption in the world of any kind. There'd be uh, none of that. We'd be living in a perfect, sinless Garden of Eden utopia. That's where we'd be today. All right. Here's a question. What if Jesus lied? 
This is a question here by Turner Pike 20. What if Jesus lied? What if he only said he was the son of God to get people to believe he was special? Do we really know Jesus wasn't just a false prophet? I don't think anyone knew Jesus enough to really say anything good or bad about him. All right. Well, let's look at this. What if Jesus lied? What if he only said he was the son of God to get people to believe he was special? All right, well, you see, off the bat, we can see that this individual has done no historical research whatsoever. Um, knows nothing about the ancient manuscripts. Knows nothing about the old scrolls and documents that we still have that go all the way back. Past Jesus. Long way back. We got, we got stuff at, at the, we have uh, books of the Old Testament. Like, for example, in the Dead Sea Scrolls, they had a whole scroll of the book of Isaiah. And we see that we have the writings of all of this going all the way back. And then we have the first-hand accounts written down, documented, handed down, without change, without contradiction, without flaw, faithfully transcribed all uh, for the past 2,000 years of the Gospels and the writings of Paul. We take a look at these things. And we can actually compare the ancient writings of the prophets, compare them with the writings of the apostles, uh, of all the things that Jesus said and did. We can actually see that Jesus, like the prophets who lived long before Jesus came on the scene, right? Like Isaiah was over 750 years before Jesus wrote how he would come where he would come, what he'd be called, and what he would accomplish. King David, in the Psalms and the and Proverbs, wrote about the Christ Messiah, how he would come, and what he would do, and how he'd be crucified, and the things that he would accomplish. We see Micah, hundreds of years before Jesus, wrote about where he would be born specifically. So... If we compare all of the writings of the prophets with the writings of the apostles about the life and about the person of Jesus Christ, you could see that Jesus fulfilled it all, everything, to a T, without one single flaw. If Jesus failed on one single prophecy, he'd be false. If Jesus said one thing wrong, he'd be false. But, now I, for, I personally forget the actual number of prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. 
I believe it was over 300. Correct me if I'm wrong on that. I think the amount of prophecies, if you actually go scour the Old Testament carefully with a fine-tooth comb, I think there was over 300 prophecies. Correct me if I'm wrong. I don't want to be wrong on that, so don't quote me on that. It could be over, I think it was over 300. Now, one uh, one uh, apologeticist, one preacher put it this way. You know what the odds are of one of these prophecies coming true? It's like one in a billion. But for one man, for one man to fulfill all of the prophecies, all of the prophecies, without one single flaw, without one single mistake. He says, you know what the odds are of that? The odds are, and he gave this explanation, you would cover Texas, Texas, United States. You would cover the whole state of Texas two feet deep in silver coins, silver dollars. Two feet deep of silver dollars across all of Texas. And you take one, one silver dollar and you paint it red. And it could be anywhere in Texas. And what you do is you get in a plane and you fly and you're a parachuter in the back of the plane, you're blindfolded. And you fly over Texas, you jump out, you parachute down, and as soon as you land, you bend over and you pick up the red dollar. It says that's the odds of one man fulfilling every single prophecy to a T. And Jesus did it. To a T, and even better. So how do we know? He wasn't just saying he was the Son of God. Because we also see the evidence of the very miracles that even the Pharisees knew. The Pharisees even said, we know who you are. Jesus even said, you know who I am. They picked up stones to stone him because he said, thou being a man makest us of God. But they were jealous and angry wanted to kill him because why? Because of the power he had. The, his miracles were recorded and the Pharisees even acknowledged. The very fact that devils are afraid of him and even to this day. If Jesus was false, now here's something, here's something, right? If Jesus was false, why do devils care? How come devils care so much about Jesus if Jesus was false? How come when you walk into a room of a demoniac, no other God or any other power can silence it? But in the name of Jesus Christ, that devil goes running for the hills. How come devils care so much about Jesus? How come society cares so much about Jesus? How come the name of Jesus is the only deity name in the entire world that's used as a cuss word? How come the faith of Jesus Christ is the only belief system in the entire world that's by grace alone, through faith alone, by belief alone? The only one. 
If Jesus was false, then then how come every single manuscript of the time backs him up and proves him and justifies him? How come if Jesus was false that every single aspect of scripture is flawless without one single contradiction? That it's been it's been written down over a span of 1600 years by over 40 different authors and not one single passage of scripture contradicts the other. And it's been faithfully, perfectly, flawlessly transcribed and handed down and copied and copied down all down through time without one single flaw. If Jesus was false, there'd be evidence that he was false. There you go. So with that, what if Jesus lied? Says the devil. Because we do see this question in the Bible. Who said? Yea, hath God truly said, what if God was just lying? What if God was just lying? What if Jesus is a liar? What if Jesus was a false prophet? What, what if God's just making it up? And you, he, just, he just doesn't want you to be like him. No, no, he's just hiding the truth from you because God knows that they eat of it. You should, you'll be like him. Let's continue. Okay. Um. <clears throat> Here's one. The question. Uh, sincerely try to be not Christian. Many Christian apologists say that even if some parts of Christianity don't make sense or are literally ineffable, but you you just but if you just truly sincerely try to be a Christian, then the truth will be revealed to you. Well, what if you just turn that around, and just try to be not a Christian? Would Christianity continue to be true? All right. What happens if you sincerely try to be not a Christian? You become a devil. But that happened to me. I know that one really well. Um, you stop being a Christian, you become a devil. You become an evil, wicked sinner. And you start to hate God specifically. And you couldn't care less about any other religion. You just start to really not like the God of the Bible for some reason specifically. You see that it's biased. There's only two ways. There's only two roads. There aren't multiple there, let me put it this way. There are not multiple religions, as in there aren't multiple actual gods of multiple different afterlives. Afterlives. Uh, it, it's one author of all the false religions and one author of the true belief. So if you are sincerely trying to not be a born-again Christian, you're only left with one option, and that is of the devil, and you will go to hell. So... Why would you try not to be a Christian? You'd only do that if you didn't really believe the Bible. 
Uh, you could pick a flavor of humanism, universalism, Islam, Judaism, or Hinduism, or Buddhism, etc. Try to learn as much of their history and claims as possible. Engage with their community. The goal will be to seek truth. With the disclaimer that even outside of the church, there is no truth but God's truth. As a consolation prize, it would build bridges with other communities and cultures to promote tolerance and communication. Okay. There is that aspect of importance of knowing what it is you're talking about. If you are going to be talking to people, say witnessing to Buddhists, witnessing to Muslims or Hindus or atheists, it does help to understand, to know where these folks are coming from, what it is they believe like for example you can't really use the same arguments and logic with an atheist that you would use with a muslim so you got to know a bit of the differences in all of this so the the uh, there is a level of education uh there is going overboard with it you don't need to know every single gory detail just a bit of uh, what what gods they believe in what do they believe about the salvation that's all you need to know honestly that's all you need to know what are they believing in what do they believe about about their salvation that's all you need to know um try to learn as much of their history and claims as possible i disagree engage with the community yeah do that the goal would be to seek truth. There is no truth in any other belief system. Well, things that Gandhi said were really good. Really? Let me ask you a question. Is there anything that Gandhi has said that the that, that the Bible isn't doesn't say better? Well, what about the philosophies of Buddha? What about him? Is there anything that Buddha has said that God hasn't said better? There is no truth. That, as the Lord says, that in the devil, there's no truth in him. He's a liar. He's a thief. That the devil stole from God, created his own religions, stole from God, and perverted aspects of it. So that, yeah, you can find golden nuggets, the golden truths or whatever, about loving others in all other belief systems. But where, where did they get that from? Who said it first? So the goal would be to seek truth. Oh, really? Uh, as a consolation prize, it would build bridges with other communities. We're not seeking to build bridges. Do you not understand, folks? We're, we're not seeking to build bridges. We're seeking to win souls for Christ, not learn how to satiate the pagans. We're, we're in it to win souls, to bring people to Christ. We're pre preaching Christ. We want sin to go away. We want the wickedness to go away. We want the false gods to die out. That's what we want. We want these false gods to die out. Because there's only one true God and eternal life. That's Jesus Christ. We're not seeking to build bridges to false gods. We're not doing that. 
It would build bridges in the communities and cultures to promote tolerance. We're not it. We're not in it to tolerate false gods. I will not tolerate false gods. I'm not going to tolerate false religions. I will not respect. I'm sorry if this gets me in trouble. I don't care. I will not. I categorically will not tolerate false gods. I will not respect the belief systems that just do nothing but send people straight to hell. I do not respect that. I will not respect those gods. I will not respect those belief systems. I will not respect their images. I will not respect their statues. I will not respect their authors. I will not respect their scriptures. I will not respect it. Because it's nothing but the lies of devils sending people straight to hell. Why in all that is holy should I ever respect or tolerate that? Now, I understand there is personal rights and freedoms. You can go believe, do, have, whatever you want. You can go identify as whatever you want. I couldn't care less than that. That's your right, your liberty, your freedom. But don't for one second think that I'm ever going to respect the belief systems that send people straight to hell. That's what I say on that. Okay, here's one. Um, okay, Jules says here, uh, my brother is very mentally sick. He hears voices that are many. He said they tell him they're legions. They're diagnosing him schizophrenia, but I know he's possessed. I've committed him to the Lord. Yeah. Um, that's definitely not normal. Um, of course, as you know, the medical system is incredibly anti-God. Incredibly atheistic. That every single possible spiritual thing that occurs... They'll just slap a medical, fancy medical term on it and throw pills at it. That's all they do. They don't believe in, in miracles. They don't believe in spiritual. They don't believe in devils. They don't believe in God. They don't believe in faith. They don't believe in any of that. The medical establishment is anti-God. I'm just saying. And so when it comes to things like this, people who are clearly demonically possessed, they'll just say, oh, he's, he's just has this issue and throw pills at him. I'm sorry, pills don't exercise demons. Um, you're not going to stop a devil with aspirin. Okay. It's not going to work or any other kind of pill you throw at it. You can't stop demon possession with vaccines. You can't vaccinate people against demons. All right. So how do you handle this? Understand it, what it is according to the word of God and approach it in that way. What does the word of God say? How to deal with devils. Fast and pray. And rebuke them, command them to be silent, and stop what they're doing. That's what it says. But but the doctors are atheistic, godless pagans. Now, of course, 
uh, they, they're good in the physical sense. They can help with broken legs and surgeries. And they, they're very intelligent and they help, know a lot of this. But when it comes to identifying certain things like this, you need to make sure to approach it with the word of God first because they're going to be approaching it from nothing but a physical, scientific, technological, medical background. They're, they are not going to bring God into it whatsoever. That's all I'm saying. I'm not condemning doctors. I'm not condemning nurses or any of that kind of thing. Do not misunderstand me. I'm not doing that. What I'm saying is the logic of the medical establishment like I said earlier, the medical establishment is this. Not, I'm not attacking individuals. There are Christian doctors. There are Christian nurses. I'm saying medical establishment. Okay? So, yeah. Um, so, yeah, exactly. Um... Mia says, if you want to know who God is, you just have to look who de the devil is fighting. Are they mocking Buddha or Allah or Krishna? Or are they mocking Jesus Christ? Exactly. And like I said, and this is something I, I saw when I was quite young. I, I, I found it rather interesting. And I did some research on it, and I, I found it true. Um, no other belief system in the world and no other culture in the entire world uses any other deity name in vulgarities you won't find that anywhere like nowhere in the world will you find people using the name of allah or buddha or krishna or odin or thor or whatever else as swear words only only, only, only the Christian God is used as a cuss word worldwide. Why is that? Don't you find that interesting? All right. Yeah, and as Mia says, I would suggest that you fast before you pray, uh, fast and pray before you cast devils out. Yeah, exactly. Um, as it says, it, even even if, uh, say it wasn't necessary, you need to fast, you should anyways, because it helps yourself as well. In all fears and things, you put them in the proper place and you learn how to stand in the Lord in faith. It strengthens yourself. And it's it's also just a good practice to fast and pray before all things anyways. It's a really good practice to get into, just to learn to really strengthen yourself in the Lord before all things. So, yeah. All right. All right, so there we go. Um, here's a question. What are your thoughts on the issues and arguments that non-believers raise? Now, uh, regarding the kind of arguments and issues and things that unbelievers use to try to refute Christianity. Uh, do the arguments made by non-believers make any sense to you? For full disclosure, I see and understand the arguments presented to me by believers. I just haven't been moved by them. 
Non-believers present many arguments against Christianity and all religions as a whole, yet believers see truckloads of overwhelming evidence for a God. Agnostics and atheists see zero evidence for a God. Non-believers will often present arguments that attempt to illustrate that, that theists are being manipulated into believing and blah, 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 blah. Okay, so basically, like I said, and the question is, um, what are your thoughts on the issues and arguments that non-believers raise? Uh, do you see any validation weight to it? Like, what's your actual thought of their, the unbelievers' thought process in all of this? Do you, do you see any merit to their arguments? That kind of okay. I'm an apologeticist. Christian coffee time was established on the very grounds of debating in defense of Christianity, learning how to give answer to the questions and provide uh, other Christians with material and answers to the difficult questions um, for the record. And you can ask the other uh, those in the group and everything. You can go back in the history of Christian Coffee Time. You can see that I have debated many people online and in person. I've debated atheists by the droves, agnostics, witches, uh, occultists of all kinds, Satanists, Buddhists, Hindus, uh, Sikhs. I've debated Muslims, Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, Seventh-day Adventists, Catholics, Catholic priests, Catholic clergy. I've debated um, masters of theology, of religions, of universities. I've debated Jehovah's Witness missionaries in the streets, all this. So I'm a debater. I'm an apologeticist. I'm a born-again Christian, preacher of the of the Word of God, a teacher of the Scriptures, an evangelist. This is what I do. So, if I was to take this question personally, uh, how do I feel about unbelievers' arguments regarding Christianity? I would say that the vast majority of the arguments used by unbelievers are arguments based in absolute just complete abject ignorance of world religion honestly that's how i see it the vast majority of arguments used by unbelievers are arguments based solely on abject ignorance of world religions they they don't actually study these things out they conflate religions i've had people conflate islam with christianity and actually mesh it together in their mind and they start arguing against it but but they're arguing against other beliefs thinking it's christian they don't even know what they're talking about half the time they're using terms that they don't even understand mean and, and they're arguing points against the bible but they're literally misquoting the text, but they think that this misquote is what it actually says, and then they get mad when you try to tell them what it actually says. Most of the time, the arguments used by unbelievers are just in woeful, uneducated, in an uneducated state. They know what they're talking about. You should study things before you talk about it. You should at least educate yourself about the topic before you bring it up. We say, well, you should do that about atheism. Well, I have. <laughs> I have studied atheism. 
I have debated many atheists. I know what they believe in, and it's dumb. And if we take a look at what the Bible says, um, the vast majority of facts and evidences are in support of this. Seriously, archaeological discoveries and scientific discoveries, all of these things, I've yet to come across one single thing brought up that can contradict the Bible. In fact, I even offered, I offered $10,000 for, I think it was like, was it a month or two months a while back? I offered $10,000 to anybody who could bring forward any form of actual valid fact, evidence, something that could contradict the word of God proving contradictions in the Bible to prove the faith wrong. I offered $10,000. There was nothing. Nothing. So if I was to say then, the issues and arguments the non-believers use against Christianity, well, they don't really have any valid argument. That's how I see it. There is no valid argument against born-again Christianity. Because you know why? We're also told why. In Romans chapter 1, it even tells us why. It even tells us. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 18 to 25. Actually, 18 to 32. It says... That while they knew God, they glorified him not as God, but they suppressed the truth in unrighteousness, meaning a deliberate, willful, knowing, pushing down, pushing away, knowing, uh, knowing, understanding what they're doing, and a deliberate action of holding under the water to suppress it and then deny that it exists suppressing the truth and unrighteousness and then deliberately change the truth of god into a lie so they're holding the beach ball under the water so to speak and say no no the ball doesn't exist in fact it's not a ball at all it's an anvil no 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 it's it's a giant cow with a head like a t-rex and they make up their own god they make up their own thing while deliberately suppressing holding the beach ball under the water that's what they're doing they know there's a God, they know it's true, they know what the truth is, and they hate God, and in their hate of God, they suppress the truth, corrupt the truth, twist the truth, fashion their own made-up false truth, and say that that's true, and that God doesn't exist. And I have found that to be the case Countless, 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 countless times. So yeah, and I and, you, and all the uh, uh, atheists and all these kind of people will come in and deny and fight and make up. I say you just don't understand. You're just being ignorant. You're just, no, 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 no. God doesn't lie, and that's what God says. You can say whatever you want. But God says, God says, you know, you just hate him. Well, how can you hate something that doesn't exist? That statement just proves my point. 
Okay, um, let's go down through. Okay, let's go down through the uh, comments here. Okay, hold up. Uh, we got a conversation going on here. Um, all right, so if we, oh, we're talking about fasting and prayer. Okay, uh, it's a little bit of an argument here. Uh, more of a discussion, but uh, let's just talk about this. What is fasting for? What is praying and fasting for and all of this? When we're seeing in context of uh, what the, what Jesus is teaching, when Jesus says some of these come that up of a prayer and fasting, what's the point? What's the purpose and all of this? So let's discuss this. What does the Bible actually say? Well, again, as we we had discussed earlier, what prayer is. Okay, so uh, some of these come that up about prayer and fasting. So what are you praying for? What are you fasting for? What is the point? What is the purpose? What is the meaning? Okay, hold up. Now, we got to look at each of these things individually before we look at the whole context of this. So let's break it down. So in this context, we're looking at for dealing with the demonic. All right. So fasting and prayer in this. Um. And we look at what Jesus, he rebuked his disciples because of their doubting, because of their fear, because of their unbelief and all of this. But it's also more, more than that. There's a bit more than that. Because when you take a look at what the Bible says and the evidences and the examples, we do see that some of the demonic are more powerful than others. The Bible clearly teaches this. There is what's called a an inverted, inverted hierarchy of the demonic realm. When God made all the angels, when everything was good, before the, 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 the great falling uh, in sin, for the great rebellion, uh, we see that there's the messenger angels. We see Gabriel, the head messenger. We see Michael, the archangel. There's only one archangel. Then Michael's angels, as they're called, that's the host of heaven, the army of heaven. Then you see the uh, seraphims, those are the ones going around singing holy, holy, followed by the ophanims. Those are the wheels full of eyes that turn in on them. They follow the seraphims around. And then you have the cherubims, which are the guardians of God's holiness. And then there was Lucifer, the anointed cherub on top. Lucifer filled with pride. And he saw how powerful he was and how beautiful he looked in all of this. And, and he said in his heart, I will be like God. And then he deceived a third of the angels to fall with him. Now, these angels, some angels are more powerful than others. Very clearly you see this in the scriptures. Now, when Satan deceived a third of the angels, this is a swath right up through the hierarchy of angels. And a third of them fell and became the inverted hierarchy of the demonic realm. Some demons are more powerful than others. Where some demons, a simple rebuke sends them running. Others will laugh in your face. I have had that happen to me. And it is terrifying. It takes you back a moment. Well, you're standing there and you're, you're believing. You're not doubting or fearing or anything. That kind of thing. And it's something that is going on. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I command you to be silent and leave. And it just starts laughing. And it tells you, you have no power. And all this starts mocking you. That, that shocks you for a moment. 
And as we see, some devils are more powerful than others. Now, just put a pin in that just for a moment. We'll come back to that. Let's just turn our attention here just for a second and let's look over here at prayer and fasting. Now, prayer, we know what prayer is. Prayer is just conversation, communion with the Lord. Fasting is, again, the, the, the act of not eating or not eating certain things does not affect the spiritual realm. It's not a magic ritual. If I, Well, if I just don't eat food for X amount of time, that'll make me more powerful. No, 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 no. That, that's, no, you've turned fasting into a magic ritual, and that's absolutely not what fasting is. Now, fasting, what this is used, is for discipline of your flesh. It disciplines the flesh by helping to assist in the suppressing of the flesh with the affections and lust thereof, uh, to, uh, to elevate the spirit, to strengthen your spirit, to put the flesh back where it needs to be, so that you can walk in the Lord in more faith, in more clarity of understanding and conscience before God. Is to bring yourself into the proper state of service of the Lord. It's a fasting, yes. But we take a look, for example, in Daniel chapter 10. In Daniel chapter 10, there's a great powerful example of this. Daniel was praying. He was praying and fasting and praying. And for 21 days, he fasted and prayed and got no answer from God. Now, in Daniel 10, it even gives us uh, some insight regarding the demonic hierarchy. As a Daniel, uh, Daniel's praying, and finally, finally, at 21 days, an angel of God comes and says, Daniel, from the very first day, thou didst set thine heart to seek after God and to chastise thyself before the Lord. He heard you and sent me for your request. But as I was coming, the princes of Persia, an Old Testament name for devils, the princes of Persia withstood me one in 20 days, opposed me to block. They formed a blockade to stop him from getting to Daniel. For what purpose? To make Daniel doubt his faith, to weaken in faith and all of this. They, the devils try to stop your prayers so that this will happen. So it says, and I, and I, uh, so the princes of Persia withstood me one in 20 days and I fought with them there until Michael came and fought with me against the kings of persia so there were devils here blockading and michael started coming and more powerful demons came up to fight kings of persia, prince of persia kings of persia more powerful devils fought with michael and this other angel until finally they were defeated and then this angel is able to come and bring the message to daniel it's what it says so was it the fasting that broke the blockade? No, it was faith. He, he continued to be faithful with the Lord. He did not faint in prayer. But the fasting helps strengthen your understanding, strengthen your standing. It strengthens you. Like, for example, your knees start kind of shaking 
fasting is the safety rail that you grab onto to help to help steady yourself while you're waiting on the Lord. Fasting is the safety rail, a cane, a, the walker, whatever you want to use as the example. It's it's the it's the handle that you hold onto that helps stabilize yourself in your faith while you wait on the Lord. That's what fasting is for. Now, in this, this helps strengthen your faith in your stance of this, that it doesn't matter what the devils do. Your not eating doesn't chase away demons. Your faith in the Lord does as the Lord honors your faith. The Lord honors your faith. The Lord drives away the devils. We don't. The devils don't care if you're eating or not eating. They care about the Lord. And they care about your faith in the Lord. They care about what the Lord does. So as you see here, it strengthens us and solidifies us in our stance in the Lord. And when these more powerful demons come up, the thing is, is you stand your ground. You stand your ground. And you and it's a waiting game. And so this devil, this powerful devil that I came across, I'll tell you about it. A few years back, I went over to this one home and uh, they uh, were, told me they were having some uh, spiritual issues. There are weird sounds and things going on and they prayed about it. It would go away a little bit and they would come back and it just, there was something odd about it. And it was in this one corner of the house. They couldn't put their finger on, but there was something wrong. And so, okay. So they stepped out of the house and I started praying about it and kind of walking around walking around the home and I'm praying and praying and praying and asking the Lord to help and show what's going on what's the issue like what exactly is happening here and and so I'm praying and praying and and I'm not even really paying attention to where I'm going I'm just kind of wandering around while I'm praying and praising the Lord and uh and just quoting scripture and all the rest of it and I wound up in this room in in the living room area and and i was facing this corner now I, i'm telling you i was not really paying attention where i was going I was just wandering around and i was standing right there right in front of a there was a big green rocking chair right there and i'm standing there staring at the corner but i'm staring at this one spot in the corner and then i realized that i'm really focused on this spot i'm not sure why i don't see anything i'm looking around i don't really see anything so i just start praying as I started to feel it, I don't know if you folks have ever had actual run-ins with full-on demonic manifestations. Real-world demon manifestation. When a, when a real demon is present, there is a whole different atmosphere to it. There's, it's, it's, you you can't really describe it it's heavy it's heavy on your on your mind it's heavy on your body it's it's heavy on your chest you feel this heaviness this oppression and i started to feel that and i knew immediately what was going on i knew immediately what it was i started calling out to the lord praising the lord and then i addressed this and in the name of the lord jesus christ i rebuke you I command you to depart 
from this place. I commanded it in the name of the Lord, and it it appeared, and but it was it became visible. It looked like in the air, kind of like a swirl of spots in the air. It was weird. I don't know how to explain it. It was like a whole bunch of spots that were just swirling moving in the air right in front of me and there was and it, when i did that when i commanded in the name of the lord to be silent and leave it appeared and it poured upon me the uh, feeling of such unbelievable rage anger hatred all of it i could feel the absolute rage of coming from this thing. It stunned me for a second. It was so intense. It was so furious with me. And it resisted the rebuke. It resisted. But I stood there. And I looked, I looked at this thing square on now i would have if i was to tell you i wasn't scared i'd be lying if i was to tell you i wasn't afraid i'd be lying but i stood there because i knew what it was and i know who jesus is and i know that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world and i looked up at this thing and i i stood my ground and i said it again i said in the name of the lord jesus christ i command you to be silent and depart and to leave this house leave this property and leave this place leave this family alone in the name of the lord jesus christ i command you depart and it left The point of it, the point of prayer and fasting is to solidify you in the faith that regardless what the devil say or do, regardless of the outcome, you won't move. You won't back down. Now, some of these devils that even Jesus uh, rebuked and told to leave, the Bible even says... The Bible even says that when Jesus would command the devil, it says, and the devil came out in that hour. It, it, sometimes when Jesus, Jesus, God himself, would rebuke certain devils, they wouldn't leave immediately. They wouldn't leave immediately. They would throw fits for a while. They would delay themselves. Like Jesus rebuked the devils in Legion. But hold up. They didn't leave Legion right away. They bargained. They bargained. They didn't leave. Like Jesus said, they didn't leave immediately. They delayed. And then they tried to bargain. And then they asked if they could go into the pigs. And Jesus says, go. And they went to the pigs. They don't always leave immediately, and that's the thing. That's the point. It, the, that fasting and prayer is to solidify you in the faith so that you won't shake, you won't quiver when, uh, when the devil start to challenge you. When they delay, when they hesitate, when they throw bigger fits, when they do bigger and greater things. I have 
I swear to you, I have been in rooms where the devils are doing full on poltergeists and they're not listening. They're throwing an absolute tantrum fit of all tantrum fits. And they're not listening. You stand your ground. I'm not backing down. I'm not walking away. I'm not going to cower. Because I know what the word of God says. Fasting and prayer strengthens you in this. It strengthens your knees. It strengthens your ankles. It strengthens your voice. It strengthens your heart. It strengthens your mind. So that you stand. That even if they have the, the furnace open. They're about to throw you in. And even if God doesn't protect me. I will not bow. It's that mentality. It's for that mentality. That you know what is true. I have faced off with full-on demonic possessions of people, places, and things. Some devils are run immediately. And some like to throw a fit. Some are, some are just mischievous monsters. Some are full-on rage beasts that throw on full poltergeists. And you know what? They're just devils. And the Lord... He is God. The point of, of all of this is that you don't move. You don't shake. You don't back down. That you stand your ground. The Lord, He is God. And in the name of Jesus Christ, these devils are going to be silent. They are going to leave. They are going to stop what they're doing. And I'm standing here until they do. Because the Lord says, I speak in the name of the Lord. I'm a servant of the Lord and he has given me authority. Jesus Christ says, I give you authority in my name. So in the name of Jesus Christ, by the authority of the living God, I'm telling you this, do it. And they run. You don't worry. You don't fear. You don't fret. When you start to shake, you strengthen yourself in the Lord and the power of his might. That's what it's about. It's not that, well, it's specifically for this, it's specifically for that. It's much bigger. There are some specific things, but it's much bigger. It's a bigger picture. Because we take a look at all that's going on. The act of not eating does not do anything spiritually. But rather what it is, it's a form of punishment of the flesh so that the spirit can, can have more attention to this. So you weaken the flesh so the spirit can be stronger. But even in that, it's much bigger than that. So I hope this makes sense. If you have any questions on this, please go ahead and ask away. I'd be glad to hear from you. Okay. Um... Going down through here. Plenty of grace says, indeed, we need to be emerged with the, with the word. We are blessed to have Holy Spirit. He helps us so much. Some can be more aware of his voice while fasting and reveal things to us. We need him. Yeah, so again, as we see, the, the noise of the flesh, the affections and the lusts thereof, to suppress the flesh with the affections and lusts thereof. Did you catch that? 
what is what what verse were we looking at earlier in Colossians? To, to set your affections on things above. To set your affections on things above, not on things of the of this earth. To suppress the flesh with the affections and lust thereof. Suppress affections. Suppress the affections. But the Bible says to to set your affections on things above. Well, which is it? To set to set them above or to suppress them? Which is it? Well, it's not just that. It's bigger than that. This is talking about the difference in the flesh and spirit. The affections of flesh, of the worries, fears, doubts, plans, powers, whatever it is of the flesh, of the physical, suppress. Irrelevant. Don't need it. But to set your affections of faith and belief and, and, and your service of the Lord of that which is spirit, to set these on things above. Your true faith, that which truly matters. Just like I was thinking yesterday, there's a verse that every once in a while the Lord Lord will do this with me. As yesterday I was doing a workout outside and uh, while I was in the middle of my workout, I had my music going, I had my tractor tire and everything else and I'm, I'm yelling and sweating and lifting the weights and doing all this stuff and then a verse just comes up in my mind. Bodily exercise profiteth little. <laughs> I what before I start working out, I pray, and I ask the Lord that He be with me in the workout to help me, protect me, and all the rest of this. I don't hurt myself because I'm dumb, and I overdo things sometimes. And then I ask the Lord that uh, that the Lord would work out with me, that the Lord would bless this. He'd be in this with me, that I would honor the Lord even in this. I asked the Lord to do that. And so he does, and he brings things up. That So I honestly, it was like the Lord is standing right there. And while I'm working out, and, and the Lord just quotes this verse, is bodily exercise profiteth little, though. I actually stopped, and, and what I was doing, and I was thinking about that. Bodily exercise profiteth little. I remember smiling and it says, well, it, it, yes, it does say bodily excess profit little. It does not say that it doesn't profit at all. At all. It says profits little. It doesn't say at all. So there is a benefit to it. And it does say in the Bible about, about those who run a race. Uh, as though uh, as one that runs a race. So we do see there's aspects and pictures of of caring for yourself and fitness and health and all this that, that is in the word of God. But yes, but what is the context? And then it came up in my mind, okay, but what's the context? Really think about it. What's the context of bodily exercise profit with little? What's the context of that verse? Does that mean like bodybuilding has no benefit and you shouldn't even look at it? Oh, what's, what is this? What's the context? I was thinking about that for a while. I actually had to think on that one for a while. Okay. And then it just came to me. It's like the Lord uh, giving me ideas on this because I couldn't really think of it because I was also tired from a workout. And then the Lord spoke and says, the context is holiness. Literally, it was like that. It's like he's talking to me. And I didn't hear audibly or anything. It was in my, my mind, these thoughts that came up in my mind. The context is holiness. Ah, oh, bodily exercise profits little in the pursuit of holiness. 
like some people who think well it, well if i look after myself in this way that'll make me more more appeasable to god that'll make me more usable to god that god that god will like me more if i'm doing this that this will make me closer to god no 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 bodily exercise that which is of the physical does not affect the spiritual that which is of the physical does not make the spiritual better it's not what enters the men that defiles him but what comes out of the heart looking after my body like the like uh monks in a monastery punishing and disciplining and working on their bodies doesn't bring them closer to god which is a better christian the western christian in the fancy suit going to church and doing all this stuff or or the native in the jungle and wearing nothing but a loincloth covered in dirt but is saved which is closer to god the thin christian or the fat christian the weak christian or the strong christian which is better to god Bodily exercise, it doesn't make you better in the eyes of men. Being big and strong makes makes you makes you better and makes you more valued. But to God, does bodily exercise profit before God? Faith does. That's what that means. Bodily exercise profits. That's not something meaning meaning that you know you shouldn't work out and look after yourself because it's not really beneficial in, in the long run. It's not what that means. It's talking about in the pursuit of holiness. It's talking about in context of that, of trying to get closer to God. Looking after your body doesn't get you closer to God. Looking after your faith does. There you go. Just something I wanted to share. But you see, Spending time in prayer and fasting regularly and spending time with the Lord and bringing the Lord into all things, setting your affections and things above. The word of God opens, understanding deepens, the fellowship with the Lord grows sweeter and the devils get more afraid. But not just more afraid, but they get more wild and they'll start to fight you more. They'll start to fight you more. But in all of this, we learn how to fight the good fight. The good fight. What is goodness according to God's standard? Fight the good fight. You hear people say, but what does that mean? What is the context? What is good according to the Lord? What does it mean to fight? Fight how? We talked about this. So the deeper meanings of these things, to study your Bibles, to study the faith, to spend time on the Lord and the power of his might, to fight the good fight, to keep the faith. How do you keep the faith? You don't move. You don't go backwards. You don't walk away. You don't cower. You deepen yourself. You root yourself that much more in the faith. We are rooted on the rock. We are built on the rock that is higher than I. The cleft of the rock that protects us from the crashing waves. We plant ourselves in the hand of God. And no man can pluck you out. That means you can't pluck yourself out either. He holds on to us and we root ourselves in him that much more. So no matter what comes, whether a flesh or spirit, devil or man, or whatever it is, we won't move. Fasting and prayer and faith and study of the word and study of the faith, these things, keeping the faith, to keep the faith, to keep. Uh, like, like a keep, like a tower, as a safety place. We keep it. It's solidified. It's not going to move. It's not going to be replaced. And you fight the good fight. How do you do this? By faith. 
The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. This is what it's about. This is what the Word of God says. It doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter what they are. It doesn't matter what the situation is. It doesn't matter how you find yourself. Like we talked about yesterday, the poor, blind beggars were used more of more by God than many others were. And they only, they only said one sentence, but in that one sentence, they preached so much to that multitude. A God can use us. And it doesn't matter what our situation is, where we are, what's going on. The point is that we root ourselves in the faith and we don't back down. We don't back down. We don't surrender. We don't move. And it doesn't matter what it is that they're threatening us with. Whether burning fiery furnace, whether it be a demonic attack, whether it be prisons, whether it be oppression by the by society, whether it's hate by uh, family members or co-workers or whatever it is, fill in the blank. Well, it doesn't matter what it is. I'm not moving. I'm not moving. That's what it's about. So there you go. Okay. Um, going down through. Plenty of Grace says, yes, fight the good fight. Rage war with the prophecies like Paul mentioned. Standing on the promises. Yep. Standing on the promises, not sitting in the premises. <laughs> okay. Any other comments, questions, issues, insights before we wrap this up? Anything on your heart, on your mind you'd like to talk about? What's going on? Um, anything that we have talked about that you would like to discuss a bit more on anything? Please. Go ahead, ask away. This is Saturday Q&A day, so the floor is open. What's on your heart? What's on your mind? Go ahead. We've got some time left, so more than happy to uh, uh, dive into that. But meanwhile, while we wait, let's see. Okay. Any other things in this sub? Yeah, here's a question. Okay. Um, question by a guy in the topic of evolution. Why did God create fossils? Okay. Let's look at this one. Why did God create fossils? Oh, I'm to put my thinking cap on for this one. Okay. What's oh, all crooked in the camera? There we go. My thinking cap. Okay. Why did God create fossils? <laughs> did God create fossils? Did God create fossils? No. No, he did not. Well, how do you know? Well, God could have. God can. Okay, yes, in the grand scheme of things, God is infinite, infinitely holy, infinitely righteous, infinitely, infinite in power, all-powerful. Yes, absolutely, God could. That's not a question. That's not the question. God could, but he didn't. You know, You know how he didn't? Well, I know that he made bones that become fossils. 
Okay, there's that. But I'm talking about the fact that, you know, the pre-Adamic race gap theory idea of the boneyard. That when God made all creation, he made the world, he made the earth with fossils already in it. No, no, he did not. You know, you know why? Because fossils denote death. Dead bones. There is no death before the fall of sin. There is no death before the fall of sin, before Adam's transgression. So the whole idea of the pre-Adamic race and creatures and evolution and everything else before Adam and Eve, that, that never happened. There were no creatures that died and became fossils over millions of years and all of that. No, 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 no. That never happened. Because there's no death before sin. There's no, there's no mutation and all that stuff before sin and all of that. So the idea of fossils before the fall of sin before adam that that's not even a thing there were no fossils there was no death there's no mutation before the fall of sin with adam so why did god create fossils he didn't he didn't because evolution of the idea of Darwinian evolution, uh, what's called macroevolution, is not a thing. So we see how macroevolution, now what is this? There's macroevolution and microevolution. They're completely different. Macroevolution is the idea of the, long, uh, of the lung mutations and changes where the alligator can become a duck. Or the alligator lays an egg and a duck crawls out. Where one kind of one species becomes another. The, the eagle becomes a hummingbird. The hummingbird becomes a 10-pound bass. Where the amoeba becomes a fish, which becomes an amphibian, which becomes a reptile, which becomes a mammal, which turns into a monkey and climbs a tree, gets struck by lightning and blows its fur and tail off and it becomes a man. You know, that's macroevolution. Micro evolution microevolution also known as speciation now this is true micro speciation where you get all of the different kinds of dog breeds all the different kinds of hummingbirds all of the different kinds of bass all the different kinds of where you have speciation of a kind you have the cow kind a cow is not going to become a goat or, like in public school textbooks, this is not a joke. They literally tell you that the T-Rex, the Tyrannosaurus Rex, became the farm chicken. I love it. That's one of my favorite things. It's so hilarious. It's so just mind-numbingly stupid. But they preach it as an absolute adamant fact. Go look it up in the public school textbooks. Go Google it. Google it right now. That what they teach it. The T-Rex becomes the farm chicken. It's not a joke. It's in textbooks. They teach it in school. It's a thing. 
Now, my joke is, how many of you have seen the movie um, Jurassic Park? You know, Jurassic Park, uh, life, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, finds a way. You know, that one, you know, the, the Jurassic Park. Well, you know the one scene where they're in the Jeep and they're run, running from the T-Rex as T-Rex is chasing them down the road? I says, you know how much more terrifying that scene would be if it was a giant chicken? A giant chicken was chasing them down the road. That's more terrifying than a T-Rex. But the, needless to say, the T-Rex did not become chicken. Dinosaurs did not become birds. If you're one of those people that believes that dinosaurs devolved into birds. Um, my, my recommendation to you would be to stop reading Dr. Seuss. Okay. Anyways, the point is one kind, one species does not become another. So the idea of evolution as is taught, is completely and utterly wrong. It's speciation of a kind, but the kind stay the kind and do not become another kind. Monkeys don't become people. People aren't, aren't evolved from monkeys. And our, your, your great, 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 to the billionth great grandfather was not a 10-pound bass. Okay? That whole thing of macro darwinian evolution is just dr seuss green eggs and ham nonsense that's all that is so did god create fossils no but did god make uh, uh, create the ability for creatures whatever to become fossils yes he established the scientific method and way for things to become fossils. That's that God did do that, but he didn't create fossils in the ground before the fall of sin. There you go. Yeah, monkeys didn't become Einsteins. The atheist says, we don't, we, we don't believe in a book that's, that was just written by man. Our faith is not in a book that was just written by man. While well, they go off into the corner and, and worship a Darwin while reading a Darwin's book on, uh, the evolution of species okay so there's that all right let's go down through here's a question now first before let's just check the comments here okay I think we're all cut up there. All right, so here we go. Here's one question. Why do you believe in God? Why do you believe in God? Well, that's a... I can answer it simply, or I can answer it... Answer it uh, complicated <laughs> I have more detail why do I believe in God well first off because there is a God <laughs> there is a God uh, 
Well, why would you not want to believe in him? Would be my counter question. But why do I believe in him? Because he's true. Because he's real. He's testable. He's provable. He's personal. You can get to know him. You can talk to him directly and he talks to you. He shows himself. He proves himself. Here's our prayers. He he answers our prayers exactly as you asked. When you specifically bring up requests before him, he answers these prayers. Who's answering my prayers? Specifically, to the exact detail of what I asked, who's answering my prayers? The universe rewards you for happy thoughts. That's nonsense. It's stupid. The universe isn't a being. God isn't the universe. God created the universe. God is a person. He's an individual. He's a person. He has emotions. He has, he has character. He has personality. God laughs. God cries. God gets angry. God judges. God blesses. He hears. He speaks. He sees. He moves. He feels. He walks. He moves. He's a person. I, I just as... Uh, just as I know you're real, just as I know my wife is real, just as I know my family is real, just as I know that this Bible is a physical book in my hands and I know it's real, I know he's real. I know. I don't just believe. I know. It goes even beyond belief. I don't just believe in him. I know he is real. It goes beyond belief. I believe in him because he is. Because he is the one. He's the and and in his presence, all other so-called gods just shrivel up. In his presence, they shrivel up and run. In the presence of God, all of their powers turn to dust. All of their all other doctrines and theologies of all other gods crumble to dust when you put god to the test he proves himself seek me you shall find me why do i believe in god because he's absolutely true and he made himself known to me personally as the one named jesus christ so it's true it's all true. It's all true. All right. Let's take a look at some more. All right, here's one. This is an interesting one. But before we do, let's look at the comments. Make sure you didn't miss anything. Mia says, I mean, once you've believed the truth, there's no way to unbelieve it. It's true. We no longer believe there is a God. We know there is a God. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's true. Yes. Amen. Plenty says, yes, amen, is knowing that we know that we know. <laughs> and it goes beyond knowing. Yep. All right. Here's one. Uh, 
Now, I, I have seen this. I've heard this happen. I, I, um, how many of you have heard, for example, of the fella, his, his preacher, he's an American preacher. His name is Stephen Anderson. Pastor Stephen Anderson. How many of you have heard of him? Now, if Anderson is actually saved, He's going to have a lot to answer for. I hope he is saved. But I'm telling you, that man acts more unsaved than than most unsaved people. It's Pastor Stephen Anderson is an absolutely filthy-mouthed, hateful, vulgar, vicious, angry little man. He is so unchristlike, it's not fair funny he drops vulgarities in the pulpit i mean he drops f-bombs in the pulpit he says we should pray that people certain people go to hell he says that uh, people who struggle in certain sins should just unalive themselves and all of that kind of thing he's just he's wicked and he sh he needs to repent he should repent but anyways I mentioned him because there's a question here. What would you say to a to a Christian who believes that they will laugh at people in hell in the end? What would you say about people? What do you think about people who say that they're going to laugh at people in hell? Well, if you claim to be a Christian, and you laugh at people going to hell you've kind of missed the whole point or even god doesn't do that god even says in his word that he doesn't want to send people and that that he desires not to and that it is not his will that this had happened and hell was made for the devil and his angels it wasn't made for man but because of our sins we will be judged but god is not willing that any should perish he wants all to be saved even the most wicked of us, God wants to be saved. And hell was not, and hell was made for for the unrighteous and for the wicked, for the unholy and the profane. Yes, but no, we shouldn't laugh at people going there. That is the mo the most unchristlike thing. The most unchristlike thing. Now I understand that there are people going to hell. And, uh, and people like uh, like Joel Osteen, you know, he's going to hell. Ken Copeland, he's going to hell if they don't repent and believe the gospel. If they don't repent and believe the gospel. And some people even deliberately fight against God knowingly. Like Copeland, Kenneth Copeland, he knows full well. Benny Hinn knows full well. Joel Osteen knows full well what they are doing. They know exactly what they're doing. They are deliberately twisting the scriptures. They're deliberately, knowingly abusing the faith just for money. They're nothing. They are nothing but scam artists using religion to get rich. So they know full well what they're doing. And it's, uh, but should we 
laugh at them going to hell or laugh at them in hell. No. But adamantly state that this is what is happening. This is where they are going and they need to repent and believe the gospel. But again, to, to, to laugh at people going to hell, to actually laugh at that, I would say you don't understand Jesus. You may be saved, but you don't understand what it means to be Christ-led. So, yeah. All right. Uh, going down through... Um, Kimba says, Stephen Anderson, is he the super angry guy? Yeah. He's the super angry guy. Yeah. Uh, I don't listen to Stephen Anderson. Seriously, don't listen to him. He he doesn't know what he's talking about. He His preaching is is severely flawed. Um, there, there actually have been moments where I've questioned his salvation. Honestly. Uh, it, yeah, Stephen Anderson needs a lot of prayer. Okay. Now, Plenty of Grace says, I don't want to gossip and talk bad about others. I just pray him love and revelation in Jesus Christ and choose to watch other videos. Um, yeah, and it says not to rejoice when someone else falls. True. Um, and again, but just to touch on something about uh, talking bad about others. Well, there's a difference in talking bad about something. This is why I just want to clarify a point here. Um, uh, there is a difference in talking bad about someone and exposing exactly what's going on for the edification of the saints, for the warning of the saints, as we are to judge righteously, as the Bible says. We are to judge, expose sin, expose error, expose these things, and point out the issues and the faults and the flaws of these things of dangerous individuals, so to warn the saints and to and to reveal to them how they need to repent and and get themselves right with the Lord. And just talking bad and gossip and just just to bash the see it makes me think of a one point is like i've said is uh is you're not allowed to complain unless you have a solution and how to fix it you're not allowed to to call out someone's errors and faults without having a solution how to help them to bring them back to the lord so like i said stephen anderson these are his issues and this is what he needs to do he needs to repent and get himself right with the lord so yeah okay um okay uh, kimba says with everything they're doing to children i've had my fair share of angry outbursts and those times it takes everything i have to remember we fight not against the flesh and blood all right right exactly um okay plenty plenty here says well i leave because you speak wrong about brothers in the lord no no i haven't you should be a testimony this is not it matthew yes it is and no that's not what they do that's what media makes it but anyway keep it right uh again you can believe what you want but uh, like i've shown you i have done lots of study on this i have researched these things and this is what anderson does i've talked about anderson joel osteen is not even a born-again christian he preaches a false gospel he preaches a false gospel. He preaches the prosperity gospel. He doesn't. He, he says Catholics and Mormons are Christians. He uh, he believes that we're supposed to have our best life now, and he uses scripture to preach money and vanity. He is not a born again Christian. 
He does not preach the biblical gospel. Kenneth Copeland believes that he's Almighty God, has claimed to be God, and, and he's said all kinds of other blasphemous things. He's a blasphemous heretic, and he needs to repent and believe the gospel. Um, Benny Hinn preaches a false gospel and is, is leading people to hell as well and is not saved. He needs to repent and believe the gospel. Same with Joyce Myers, ben, uh, Bill Johnson, Stephen Furtick, Todd White, Paula White, and on and on. Uh, John Hagee, they, they are preaching false gospels. Uh, Stephen Anderson, like I said, I hope he is a Christian. And if he is not, he needs to repent and believe the truth. And look, Stephen, uh, Stephen Anderson has done this in the pulpit. I have heard him from his own mouth. And it is, he says vile, vulgar things on camera. Hate against, pure hatred against certain individuals. He needs to repent of that. And the Bible says specifically, this says that uh, such should, should be, uh, should be uh, called out. That to, to warn the saints of this. I have a whole list. I've done videos on righteous judgment and this kind of thing. And you say this is not how, what we should do. Well, I say you need to go study your Bible. You need to study your Bible on biblical judgment and judging sin and judging all these things. This is, this is what the Bible says. Do you not know the saints shall judge the world? That's what it says. I'm sorry you feel that way. You think that I'm wrong. But again, like I said, show me from the Bible how I'm wrong. We are to judge. The Bible does not say judge not, period. It says to judge after the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. And that's what I've been doing. That's what I've been doing. I'm not talking bad about people. I'm I'm showing you errors and faults and sins and things and individuals to warn the saints, educate them. This is what's going on, and this is how we should uh, we should we should approach it from a biblical perspective. Show me how I'm wrong. Using your Bible. So I'm sorry you feel that way. Okay, Mia says that's the question that came to me. Well, will we actually see those in hell? No. No, um, as you see how, how it is at the great white throne, those, those names are found not found written. They'll be cast in the lake of fire. But uh, where that is, I don't know. Is it going to be like right there? Or is there a door like right there in the throne? I don't, it just says there is the, there is the lake of fire and they'll be thrown in the lake of fire. It doesn't say where it is. So I can't say if we will actually see that. It doesn't say, um, but no, because uh, it's not meant for us. We, uh, we, as what the scriptures show in this, this kind of thing is that the, the saints are so far removed from the judgment of God. We won't even smell the smoke of hell. That's how I see that. So will we actually see those in hell? No, I don't believe so. Okay. And uh, Mia says, uh, I mean, sometimes our flesh wants a personal satisfaction about those who did us wrong. And again, that's the flesh. Um, uh, but we should suppress that. We should fight against that because that's not grace. That's not grace. Um, grace is ignoring that aspect of personal vengeance and vendetta. We, we get rid of that. So to look beyond the fault and see the need. So, yeah. Okay. Um, so, yeah. Um, I go down through here. Kimba says, not telling the truth leaves people at the mercy of Satan and left in bondage. Right. Exactly. I'm actually going to bring up 
just for clarification of what we've been talking about here um i want to bring up my list here on judgment and righteous judgment um how far down there it is okay righteous judgment as you see about this um like in first corinthians 6 2 do you not know the saints shall judge the world and if the world shall be judged by you are ye unworthy to judge the smallest matters um let's see in first timothy 6 3 to 5 if any man teach otherwise well how do you know if they teach otherwise if any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words even the words of our lord jesus christ that the doctrine which is according to godliness he is proud knowing nothing but doting about questions, the strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness, from such withdraw yourself. And just like I said, like for example, Joel Osteen, Benny Hinn, Copeland, all of these, these prosperity preachers, they preach that gain is godliness, from such withdraw yourself. So pointing these things out, for example, is not wrong we're supposed to to warn others uh, to, to watch out for these ones as well and like we see in romans 16 17 18 now I beseech you brethren mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned and avoid them to mark that that means to to uh like uh, you set a beacon here where people can see so then they know where to stay away from um and let's see Uh, Titus chapter 1 verses 12 to 13 one of themselves even a prophet of their own said the Cretans are always liars evil be slow bellies this witness is true wherefore rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith and as I see even in church discipline if someone is in error and they and they will not correct themselves you're to go and get some others to come with you to correct them and if they still won't listen you take this matter before the church you take the matter before the church and the church then puts this one out because of their sin until they learn to repent so people say well we should never speak bad about people where it's not it's not speaking bad it's pointing out error it's point it's pointing out that these things that are dangerous it's pointing out sin it's pointing out sin that needs to be corrected and like I said, you never point out sin unless you have a solution how to fix it. And so therefore, if we're going to expose sin, we're going to also going to be teaching on how this one should be corrected so that we ourselves better ourselves in this. We are edified by this. We are all protected by this because this is how we should go about it. This is what the Bible says. And if you disagree, you're wrong. Show me from the word of God how I'm wrong. So there you go. And it's not arrogance, it's not meanness, it's not being a mean person, that kind of thing. This is what the Bible says. So yeah. Truth hurts. Yes, it does. Um, judge righteous judgment. Amen. Mia says, truth hurts. That pain from truth is necessary to pull out people from hell. Speak the truth with love. Exactly. Exactly. We're not saying all these things about people just to bash them, just to speak evil of them, just to be mean or that kind of thing. No. Doing that is wrong. Doing that is absolutely wrong. That's not the right spirit, the right heart to go about this. That's not how we should do that. Say, well, we should just leave them alone and just love them. That's not biblical either. 
Well, the Bible says we're supposed to love them. Yeah, and how can you truly love someone? By by showing them how they can better themselves in the faith. And just, just to uh, ignore the fault, ignore the error, and only just love? Well, that's not what Jesus did either. Jesus, he spoke the truth, and he exposed sin, and he taught his disciples to do so. To preach righteousness, expose sin, this is what the word of God says that we're supposed to do. And to go out and warn the saints from the false prophets and those that would threaten and damage and harm harm the church. And to preach what the word of God says, that's what we're supposed to do. And someone who doesn't like that, well, they got a problem with the word of God. If you don't like that, show me from the word of God how I'm wrong. All right, so there's that. Okay, um, we've been going for two hours, 44 minutes. Uh, let's do one more. Let's do one more. Okay. If you have any comments, anything in the in the comments there, uh, topics or something you'd like to talk about, please go ahead. Okay. Let's take a look at this list. <clears throat> um <laughs> all right here's one hey mia here's one let's discuss this one okay mia also says i definitely don't want to see people suffering in hell but i want to see those who reject christ confessing he is lord and bowed him admitting they were wrong i don't know if you get what i mean no i i see what you mean i do see what you mean okay but here's a topic here now a question on the list <laughs> What will be your excuse on Judgment Day if it turns out Islam is the true religion? Or we could even replace it, let's say, the Egyptian religion, religion or Babylonian religions or Mormonism or whatever. They put, put it anywhere. But they say, what will be your excuse on Judgment Day if it turns out Islam was the true religion? <laughs> All right. How, you, how do you answer that one? Simply, if I find myself standing before the throne and it was Islam or any other religion that was actually the true religion, I tell myself to wake up from this dream. The Bible says to ignore foolish questions. It's not even a question so yeah uh, people have all kinds of weird hypotheticals and all that kind of thing you know and that's one thing I actually teach is um, ignore hypotheticals hypothetical questions like that hypothetical questions like that are specifically designed and crafted to to try in an attempt to prove the Bible wrong to try to fault find, to try to bring in, in an ability to question the veracity of Scripture. That's what hypothet hypothetical questions are for. Therefore, therefore, to cause people to try to question the veracity of Scripture. 
so i stay away from hypothetical questions like that like can god make a rock so big he can't lift it well if you say no well then god is limited if you say yes then god is limited it's just dumb questions stay away from hypothetical questions how many angels can stand on the head of a pin angels aren't fairies one and that's just stupid and angels are a spiritual creature not physical it's just it's just dumb so yeah it's a stay away from hypothetical questions so well how can we know that christianity is the true religion then well it's more than just true religion it's about the reality of a person and we see we have more facts we have more proof we have more evidence we have more power we have more everything on our side greater is he that is in us than he is in the world fight the good fight keep the faith okay all right um okay yeah mia says like how how uh, how you love someone when you know they're on the way to hell and don't warn them yeah is we need to warn all those around that those that we can warn we should warn those that the lord has placed in our circle of influence we shouldn't uh, pass up an opportunity to tell them at least tell them once at least at bare minimum at least tell them once at least try to give them a gospel tract once just try Try to get the truth to them at least even once. So, anyway, so with that, I guess we'll wrap it up there. This has been great. So I hope this has been a help, a comfort, and a blessing, and a benefit to you. If you appreciate these studies, please give us a like, give us a thumbs up. Make sure you subscribe, hit notification bell icons, and we put up new videos and check out all our other videos. We've got tons and tons of other content and goodies. Uh, and as well as check out our website, christiancoffeetime.ca. We have links to all other platforms and goodies, and as well as free downloadable gospel track PDFs. And as well as links to our merch shop uh, on Etsy, where you can get bookmarks and notebooks and posters and all kinds of other great Christian stuff, as well as our new Outlaw Gospel merch line of uh, bookmarks and stickers make sure you check that out it's all kinds of stuff on there and uh yeah so there we go so with that god bless you folks god bless all those who love our lord god jesus christ god bless all those who love his holy word hope to see you again and as always if i don't see you again i'll see you in the sky god bless <laughs>